Well, does anybody have a Bible in this here church? Let's hold them up a little bit, shake them, make the bookstores glad and the devil mad, and let's chop off some devil's heads. Na, 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 Getting a few little wild looks over there. I mean, is this not a spiritual weapon? Do we not fight against, not flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, things that we can't see? This is a weapon. And so if you believe that, repeat after me. This Bible has the power to change my life, to change my city. I can do what this Bible says I can do. I'll be a history maker and a world shaker. This Bible's a truth detector, a sin deflector, a faith inflator. I'm going to read it now. I'm going to read it later. If you really believed what you said, give Jesus a shout and a hand clap and amen. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. I'm going to talk to you a message entitled, Are You in Shape? Look at your neighbor. Ask them if they're in shape. Hallelujah. Is anybody suffering from POD? That would be post-Olympic depression. Did anybody get in the Olympics and you kind of were excited and then all of a sudden it stopped? Did anybody actually try to work out, you know, during or after the Olympics and... You know, and I know my daughter started going back to the gym. My son, I talked to him in California. He went to the track like he'd been in college and looking for some hurdles to run. And I tried to run a sprint and kind of tightened up and decided that wasn't such a good idea. <laughs> but I did go to the gym and I got this new machine there. I, I spent about an hour with it and I just got sick. I mean, I liked the machine. I mean, when you pull the button, you know, a Snickers bar would come out, some chips would come out, you know, but after a while, I just, whoa, just kind of feel bad. But you know, if you do get that urge to exercise, a lot of times you just lay down, it'll kind of pass. So you just got to kind of, you know, let it go. Because really, some of the only exercise some of you get is jumping to conclusions. But we're going to move on now. Uh-oh. You know, if somebody come up to me and say, hey, I'm a great athlete. You know, I'm a great football player. I'm a great baseball, ball, baseball player, whatever it is. I'd look at them and say, are you in shape? Because that's going to determine a lot right there. A matter of fact, at every level of football I played, whether it was high school, college, or pro, every team that I showed up to, the first thing we had to do the first day was run one mile. Has anybody had to do that? I mean, going into sports. And why? I mean, you don't, I mean, when the first game comes, everybody does put on your helmet and your pads and see who can run a mile, the farthest and fastest. But it was that little test that the coaches would give you to see what you were doing all summer. Because they told you in the spring, you better be working out. You better be working out if we're going to have a great team, if you're not going to throw up all over the sidelines or whatever. And so the, and that first day, you'd find out if you were working out in the summer. You know, after the first or second lap, and you were talking to the dinosaurs, and your lunch was coming up, you know, that's pretty much said what your workout routine was. It was opening the bag of Cheetos and watching reruns of Saved by the Bell or something. And that was it. And it caught up with you. But even at the pro level, they used to have a lot of free agent tryouts. And in between some teams I was playing with, I went to a free agent uh, tryout at, Dallas, at the Dallas Stadium, the old stadium, stadium with the hole in the, the roof. And there was a, over 500 people that showed up to try to make the team. And so the, the whole part of that stands, there's a bunch of people there. One guy come in frayed cutoffs, just a worn out t-shirt, no shoes, just in his bare feet and a sack lunch. And he was about a buck 35 and said, man, I'm going to make the Cowboys. But before he could do that, he had to go through some tests. And the first thing you did was walk down the aisle and you stood in a line and they had a scale with one of those things that measured your height. They weighed you, measured you, and then it cut down to 100 people. I mean, just like that. 
And then we went on the field and ran 40-yard dashes, and then it was down to 20 of us. And then they started doing agility drills and things. And then they asked me my age, and it was in the 30s, and they said, see you later. And so, but they wanted to find out if you're in shape, if you're fit for their team. I want to ask you, are you fit for heaven? Just think about that. Now, I'm not just saying, but first of all, you need to make sure you're fit to go to heaven. But I'm not just talking about going to heaven. I'm talking about fit for heaven to come down to you. Could you handle the power of God coming, like we just read about a man, Smith Wigglesworth, in the presence of God, or for the power of God to move through you to see sick people healed? Is that for us or not? I mean, does the Bible say believers will lay hands, not the apostles, not the disciples, believers. And I believe that's the big trouble. A lot of people call themselves Christians, but I say, you can ask, you can do a poll right now in in Texas, and 90% of people will say they're Christians. When you go to your work, when you go to school, does it look like 90% of the people are Christians? No. But are they believers? Young girls, don't go to, with a guy that says he's a Christian. I mean, get a guy that's a believer, and their actions will match up to that. So are you a believer? Are you fit for the power of God, mentally, physically, and emotionally? Because I believe we're moving into a time of signs, wonders, and miracles. Because it's just getting so dark. Is it dark out there in the world? I mean, it, it looks like the world's just limping along and the vultures are circling just ready to swoop in. It's that demonic and dark. But the more darkness you see, the more God's going to bring His light. And He needs to let His light shine through people. And so that's why we need to get in shape for what God wants to do. And I believe that revival is going to come primarily through young people who move in signs and wonders. And I think that's what's going to usher in this great last revival. That's kind of my personal thoughts. But do you qualify? And when you go through something, do you pass the test? I believe everything in life is a test. Amen. That's, this whole thing called life is a test. For when we go to heaven, for when we... And if you look in the Word and really begin to study, you find out there's different rewards in heaven. Some people will get more. Some people are going to make it to heaven. But everything they did here is going to be put in a fire and it's going to burn up and you're not going to have anything left. And I don't know if we're going to have different size houses or whatever, or if I'm going to have to, you know, if I want to have much of a house and I've got to go to Zach's to swim in his pool or something, I don't know. But even there's a time where Jesus comes back and his saints come with him to reign on this new earth for a thousand years. And there's going to be babies born. There's going to be people who are good stewards over things like finances and talents that could rule and reign over five or ten cities. I don't know how it works. But anyhow, there are kind of little, some different levels there to be thinking about. And what would it take for us tonight? And before I even say this, I want, when I talk about life is a test, are you going to be tested by God? And now when I say that test, I want you to understand, first of all, I say that with the foundation that God is a good God, that He's a good Father, that He don't need to put sickness on you to test you. Would any good parent do that? But we're talking like a good teacher. A good teacher wants to know if you're going to be able to be qualified to go to that next grade. God wants to know if you're qualified to go to that next level. And I believe our church is getting ready to go to the next level, which means it can't go to the next level till you go to the next level, because you are the church. And as we go to that next level, and God is just kind of those things, when pressure comes, how do you react? How do you respond? Would you deny Christ? Now, we think, oh, we're not going to deny Christ. You know, like Peter, I mean, you know, he just cussed and said, I don't even know Christ anymore. And, but I begin to think about my life. When I first became a Christian, kind of young in my Christian walk, 
There was times I was playing football. I'd go to the FCA meeting. That's Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And I would pull Jesus out. And I'd tell everybody, hey, look, I'm a Christian. And I'd talk to Jesus talk. And, and I'd look like a Christian. And then after the FCA was over, and that night after the game, there was a keg of beer and a party. Jesus would go in my pocket. And I'd be talking and acting like the world. Is that not denying Christ? Or what about when we have that opportunity and the Holy Spirit's kind of prompting us, whether you're an adult at work, at a restaurant with your friends, or a young person at school, and you think, you know, I should pray for my food and just bless it. And you don't have to be, you know, okay, everybody stop, I'm praying for my food. Oh, Holy Father. You know, just like that, just pause a minute and just be silent before the Lord and, and say that prayer. But you say, oh, I don't want to lose my, you know, my reputation or whatever it is. And then I think, what if it came down to where we were actually tortured to deny our faith. We've had a man in this pulpit. First name was Kaya. And he was put in prison in a country, third world country. He was put in prison and they pulled his teeth one by one to get him to deny Christ. And he never did. It's a powerful testimony. He's been here several times. And now he's touching nations with his testimony and with what he's doing. But there will be a test. You know, some of us, we're persecuted when we go to Target and can't find that parking spot close to the building. It's like, Lord, why you've denied, you've left me. What is the deal? Or you have to park in the rocks out there. Do the ladies like parking in the rocks and walking in those? But you come to, you know, there's actually people that walk to church. I mean, we're talking about countries where they walk for, there's people here in this church that have walked to get here. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. John 6, 6. Jesus said this. But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. He's talking to Philip. This is right when the multitudes are coming. He looks at Philip and said, how are we going to feed these multitudes? Why did he say that? Wanted to test him. And of course, I'm sure Philip is going through his natural mind, thinking, okay, if I go to Walmart, it's going to take about this much cash. I'm going to have to take 100 people with me just to carry the bread and stuff back. He's starting to, th- and how often do we do that? Right away, we go into the natural realm, and we're trying to, oh, how can I take this, how can I fix this, how can I cover myself? But it was, I mean, the word himself was standing there. Jesus, the answer was right there. And he'd probably seen him feed people and do this before. And it was a test, Psalm 105, 19. Until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. How many have gotten a word from the Lord before? I mean, a lot of times... This is the first place he speaks. It could be something that just stands out of here or you're sick in your body and you, you get a hold of that passage that by his stripes I was healed 2,000 years ago. But a lot of times when you get a word, there comes a test. Okay, you're going to hold on to this word? Are you going to believe it? Are you going to, a little opposition comes? Well, cast it aside. My wife was up, this was back when we, a few years after we got here, and we were at Pastor John's first house and they had a really nice house. The Lord really blessed them and they do now. But because of just a prophetic word to sell a house in California, that they lived in a little bitty place, and, and a prophetic word to sell at the right time, and they just got blessed. And, but my wife is upstairs in their house, taking care of one of our little babies at the time, and just kind of trying to keep it calm and, and, and feed it, and talking to the Lord. Just having a conversation. Oh, God, you know, you know I have a desire. I want a house of my own with nice carpet like this. And, and uh, you know, Lord, but take this desire out of me. You know, if it's not from you, just, you know, I, I, and she's just conversing with the Lord. 
She walks down in the meeting, a man by the name of Dick Mills, who knows, I don't know how many chapters memorized in the Bible, and he gives you a prophetic word. It's, it's, a, it's scripture. And we're having a leadership meeting. My wife walks down. He stops the meeting, looks at my wife, and said, the Lord's telling me you're going to have a new home. I, do you think that said something to my wife? When she's just talking, you think the timing? But you know what? I think seven or eight years went past, and we got another prophetic word, more specific. We'd have a house with a storage and a fence and a pool. And we're living in a house at that time with the rent six fifty. They double it to thirteen hundred, and we have to. We don't know what we're going to do. I finally put stuff in storage, and a lady's driving back from our church in Little Rock. She said, "I don't know, but I just I kind of saw you living with us. What does that mean?" And I'm thinking. And so we move in with a seventy year old lady in our church, her five cats, and her ninety year old mom. My four kids, little kids. But you know what? The Lord was taking care of me. The Lord helped me get out of some debt that I'd had when the, you know, the football team didn't play me in the, pay me in the USFL and some different things. But a lot of the time, that word was something to fight with. But I had to hold on to it because I could have lost track of that and say, oh, well, it wasn't the Lord. In Revelations 2, it talks about uh, the saints being tested and going through some opposition. But the word test means to explore, test, try, examine, prove, attempt. It describes the testing of a believer's loyalty, strength, opinions, disposition, faith, patience, character, or condition. Look at your neighbor and ask him, what kind of condition are you in? And I ask you, are you fit for the kingdom? Let's talk about stewardship. The word steward, the definition, one who manages another's property or possessions. Where did you get your stuff? Talents, gifts, finances. Did not we get it from the Lord? Let's look at this. Story in Luke 16. There was a certain rich man who had a steward. An accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship. For you can no longer be steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I'm I'm too ashamed to beg. I have resolved to do this. That when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. He said, Take your bill, sit down quickly, write fifty. He said to another, How much do you owe? A hundred measures of wheat. He said, Take your bill, write eighty. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in, this, in their generation than the sons of light. And I say to you, Make friends for yourself with unrighteous mammon, this money stuff, that when you fall... Or when you fail, you may, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He was faithful. Catch this part. He was faithful in what is least, is faithful also in much. He was unjust in what is least, is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? Are you a faithful steward of what God has given you? That's talents, time, and treasure. What about your talents? Are you doing anything for the kingdom of God with your talents? I mean, we have a class, our Connect class, but the, the third class is called Discovery, Discovering Your Spiritual Gifts. We have coaches that will meet with you to find out what your gifting is, to find a place to serve. Because that's what this is about. Being a servant of the Most High God. I'll give you a little side note from some other messages. I said earlier that I believe there will be a uh, a revival come in signs, wonders, and miracles. And God is looking for servants. So we're talking about a kingdom. We're talking about the kingdom that's within us and understanding that He's the king and, and we, we're, we're a servant. 
and I talked about Smith Wigglesworth, who I'm going to talk about a little more in a minute so you know who it is. But he came into a demonic confrontation with a man that had a demon-possessed daughter, 21 demons in her, but he didn't want a rich man didn't want to send her to an asylum, and so he hired these strong men to just be nurses and to wait on her and to keep her from hurting herself. Smith Wigglesworth comes into the room to pray for her after he found out about him. He walks in, these demons in her, one of them begins to speak out, Oh, you're Smith Wigglesworth, servant of the Most High God. Did you hear that? Servant. That's the fr- and he cast him out. And this girl was, I mean, totally naked, out of her mind, throwing these guys, cast the devils, 21 devils out. She was down 15 minutes later, dressed and having tea with her parents. Amen. Being a servant. I want to hit that one more time about finding a place to serve. You can go on our website, churchandrock.org, and you click on the very first page, Spiritual Gifts Test. You can begin to find out what your gifts are. But finding a place to serve. Anybody heard of this guy in the Bible by the name of Elisha? His person he looked to, to teach and train, his coach was Elijah. And when Elijah left and Elisha was on the scene and Elisha did his first miracle, the people said of him, isn't that Elisha, the man who washed the feet of Elijah, who was his servant? I'm telling you, servanthood is the key to unlock the miraculous. Just think about that a minute. As we move on. Talents, are you using your talents? What about your time? We all have been given 86,400 seconds every day. Every one of us, the same. President of the United States, which you think great responsibility, same amount of time as we do. The pastor of the largest church in the world, at least four or five years ago, Young E. Cho in, in Seoul, Korea, over a million members, gets up, I heard, at four in the morning just to begin to pray. I mean, we're all given the same amount of time. Are you making the best of it? What about your treasure? Do you at least tithe? That's 10%. Oh, now we're going to get a little on our edge of our seats here, huh? You know, I want to say that. Again, you hear me say this a lot. But I'm telling you, not as a paid professional. I'm telling you as a satisfied customer. I'm telling you as somebody who's seen God do miracles in our finances. I mean, this house I'm talking about had no money and was in debt. I mean, and then the house we thought we were going to get burnt. I, I thought I heard the Lord. This is the house. And then a month before we buy it, the kids start the house on fire and it burns through the bedroom and the kitchen. And I take a Christian construct and I think, I, I just have to get away and go to my prayer closet and open up my prayer journal and I just begin to write. And I found myself drawing a picture of a house with a garage and a weight room. And then I felt the Lord impress me to, and I started to write. And what I wrote was, this is the house. And now I'm thinking, okay, now God, I'm really confused. Now I'm going to buy a burnt house. I take a Christian construction man out there. He looks at it and he says, I wouldn't touch it. Too much damage. Something. But you know what? Who God brings to our church that I hadn't met yet. It was a man that was in a construction business that had been an alcoholic for years. And God saved him. He sobered up. And he went out there and looked at it. And he said, I'll make this happen. And we ended up with twice, literally twice the house. And I had no money. And I'll, I'll throw this one out too that I hadn't shared with many people except privately. Uh, we bought this house, got a construction loan miraculously, and this guy is going the extra mile. I mean, we have twice the house. We have 4,000 square foot. My parents live in 1,000 square foot. I got a weight room. I mean, we got a pool now. Everything that I had to build myself, me and the Holy Spirit. But I'm telling you, it came to pass, that prophetic word we got. But there was one point I had to get, move my construction loan to a real loan. 
And, and I go to the bank and they say, well, you got $18,000 worth of car notes where you've been buying and selling cars. That has to be wiped out. So I'm thinking, man, how can I sell all these cars? And, and some lady from another country that was living in a house with several other families, because you would think this lady's got no money, she overheard my prayer when we were doing early morning prayer at Powerhouse, and she comes up in broken English and says something like she wants to buy one of these cars. And I'm thinking, well, I got the 3000 the 5000 or the 10000 you know, which one? And I'm not really making sense and understanding, but I'm thinking, well, maybe the, the middle one or the cheap one. And I had to go out of town or do something, so I told my wife, and my wife takes her to the bank, and I'm thinking she's going to buy one car, and this lady that doesn't look like has any money, she goes to the bank, she pulls out $18,000 cash, puts it on the counter, and pays for all those cars. That's one of many miracles. I'm telling you, and I give God glory for that. I hadn't shared that one publicly. But you know what? That's because before I got in the ministry, I realized that when you don't give 10%, you're under a curse, and the enemy has legal right to come and steal from you. And I pray for people all week long that are getting kicked out of their homes and things going on. And, you know, we've lost a home too. But, I mean, those things happen. But I'm telling you, God is faithful. But trust Him. Can you trust Him? Because we're talking about this money, this stuff that goes this way is unrighteous mammon. I mean, it's just stuff. But if you can't just trust you in the stuff, how's He going to trust you with the power? Okay, First Peter 4.10. You got a little extra there. Uh, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Even this unjust steward, he had good sense to look ahead. I mean, do we really look ahead? Do we really live like we believe there's a heaven and a hell? Do, do I really live? I mean, like Jesus could come back today, like today could be my last breath. Are we really living like that? You want to put your treasure where you want your life to be. You want to aim at where you want, at what you want to hit. You got to aim it that way. You got to keep your focus on where you want to end up. I don't know, when we had little kids, you'd go to the, the fair or Six Flags and you'd be walking along and those kids would start looking at all that stuff. And they're just looking around and pretty soon they're just drifting. And you turn around, you had four kids, now you got two. And you're scrambling around trying to find them. I mean, you got to stay focused or you'll get off track. Are you fit? And I'm going to tell you, there will be a test. Not just on this message. There's going to be a test to see if you are. Because you know what? I said, I don't know if I said it earlier in the other message. God's taking this church to another level. And so that means, you know, there's another level here that we need to be ready for. And there'll be a test. So the word fit, three letters. The first letter is F and it stands for faith. Say faith. Faith. 1 Peter 1.7 That the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to be praise, honor, glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Job 23.10 But he knows the way that I take. When he tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Even Job, with bombs going off all around him, the enemy having access for whatever reason it was, his children are dying, his stuff's being taken, but he is staying focused. He said, I don't care how this turns out, I'm going to worship God. You know, I'm going to continue to give him glory. And you know the end of the story. I mean, that faith was tested and tried. But it came forth as pure gold, and he got a double reward for that. But I mean, your faith is like gold. What's the stuff that we use this way to buy and sell? It's called money, right? Get a car, get some groceries. What is the stuff we use to pull things out of heaven? It's faith. That's the currency we use. 
I mean, faith is what this whole thing called Christianity is based on. We were in here worshiping a God we could not see. How? By faith. And the thing is, when you begin to step out in that faith, God begins to make himself real. How many... I could ask how many have seen God. There could be a few in here that have. I haven't. But yet, I know there's a God just by... You can look outside and look at the wonders and marvels and... Look at your fingerprint. Everyone different, not one the same. That don't help evolution any, does it? But you are individually created in your mother's womb. And the biggest testimony is I know what I was like before. And I see what I'm like now. Pooh, any, anybody like that pulled out of the pit in here? You know there's a guy. There's no other way. You can just... I tried to stop cussing one time for about two weeks. Hit the nail, hit my hammer on my finger, and that was the end of that. But I'm telling you, when God comes in, He can help things change. Totally. It's a fight for your faith. 2 Timothy 4, 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Okay? That's the goal of the enemy. He doesn't necessarily need another divorce. He's winning in that game. Over 50% of marriages end in divorce, even in the church. I believe a lot of the wealth is stored up in the camp of the wicked right now, but is going to be released to the well, to the righteous. But so the, what does the devil want? I believe not just the attack to, you know, your health and finance, but he wants your faith. Because if he gets your faith, you can no longer have any currency. I mean, that debit card don't work anymore to get prayers answered because it's by faith. He wants to come in with fear, doubt, and unbelief. And you got to stand strong in faith because that's how you're going to see prayers answered. So don't let go of it. Hold on to it. And it's usually not a faith problem, it's a word problem. You've got to think about that in just a minute. Holy Spirit will tell you the answer to that. You'll see it in a minute. It's a word problem, and you'll find out here what I'm talking about. Let's talk about Smith Wigglesworth just a little bit. Born in 1860, died in 1947, and the reason I want to talk about him is because great people leave clues. I mean, you look at their life, you see why they're great, because they leave a little trail of different clues, and th- whether it's leadership or, 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 or businessman. You can kind of read books on leadership or business. You can find out things. Or great athletes, you see how they became great. It was by the little things they did every day that make them great. Okay, Smith Wigglesworth, a great man of faith. He had two words that summed up his life in theology, and he said it a lot. It was, only believe. Let's say that together. Only believe. One more time. Only believe. A third time. Only believe. That's for your body, soul, and your spirit there. So you get it all. He had a love for the Word and a life of prayer. He didn't very often spend more than a half hour in prayer, but he didn't go, he didn't go more than a half hour without praying. That's the kind of prayer life he had. It's what he liked best of all was praying, and that was one of the secrets of his power. Think about the disciples. I share this in my Connect class. In Matthew 6, they come up to Jesus and say, teach us how to pray. And that's when he gave them the Lord's Prayer. But why would they ask Jesus, teach me to pray? I mean, if I saw somebody praying, however they do it, whether they do it like this, or they're on their knees, or like this, or and their lips are moving, or they're talking out loud, oh Lord. I mean, just so from seeing that, I'm thinking, oh, I want to learn how to pray. Wow, wow, that's, that's exciting. But why would they ask that? Because the Bible says early in the morning, Jesus would go to a solitary place to pray. 
And I believe when he came back and the disciples saw him, whether there was a little different look or fire in his eyes, and he'd lay hands on the sick and they'd recover, he'd raise people from the dead, they would start to go, prayer, power. Ooh, prayer, power. Much prayer, much power. Little prayer, little power. Amen? Amen. And he didn't pray for the needy. He spoke the word over them. Two things dominated his life. A consuming love for the word of God and an overwhelming confidence of the God of the word. He was a pretty strong man. Like I said, a plumber, sixth grade education. There was a narrow church he was preaching in. In the back row, there was a bench. And there were some people sitting on it. But he was praying, and it was like, nothing's happening. Well, where's the anointing? Where's the presence? And so he took off his jacket. He shouted a little bit. And he started preaching. And still nothing. And the Lord spoke to him. There's witchcraft going on in this building, and they're binding you. And he showed him six to seven people sitting on a bench in the back row, holding hands, praying against the service. So he kept preaching. He walks down, goes all the way back, picks up the bench. They all slide, at, slide down the bench into a pile and leave the building. And listen what he said. First he said, when he lifted it up, he said, out you devils. And he said, they slid down the bench, a pile by the door, they slunk out. He said, they had not come for deliverance, so I didn't cast the devils out of them. I cast them out with the devils in them. <laughs> then he said this, you know you can't treat the devil lightly. You have to be rough with him. You have to mean business. You must tell him with authority to come out. It's no use telling him a second time. You must have enough authority in the name of Jesus to command him to come out. And in that name, he must come out. He was praying for a man came up, a big bandage on his throat. And this guy sometimes would punch people in the stomachs. They had a bad back. He'd slap them on the back. He'd, he'd grab this guy by the throat and prayed for him. Well, first, this is how it's set up. The guy comes to the altar. Smith says, what's up? And the guy goes, can God do anything for me? And he says, yes, he can, unless he's forgotten how to make voice boxes. And then he grabbed him and prayed for him. And then he said this. He said, I want you to go home, eat a meal of meat and potatoes. He said, I can't, sir. I feed myself through this. And he pointed to a tube coming out of the bandage that he had to have be fed through a tube. And he said, go your way. Do as I told you. Don't be faithless, but be believing. The next guy, the guy comes back to the prayer line. And Smith says, what are you doing here? I prayed for you last night. He said, in a normal voice, he said, I've come to tell you what God did. He said, I went home, I told my mom to cook this meal. She hesitated and wouldn't do it. I finally encouraged her to do it. And he said, I, she said, I insisted. The first mouthful I chewed a long time, and I fearfully swallowed it. It went down my throat painlessly. No trouble. Smith goes, what are you going to do with the bandage on your throat while it covers this tube that feeds me? He said, go to the hospital tomorrow and have it taken out. But then he stopped, and he looked at the pastor of the church. He said, come here. You're going to want to watch this. And he takes the bandage off, pulls the tube out, takes his finger and thumb, puts it over it, and before this guy's eye, it seals shut and is healed. But listen to this statement. He said, I mean, here right before their eyes, he said, what I had seen God do in heaven, I'd done on earth. He saw God doing it. He took a five, he went to a funeral and a lot of times custom was to have the body and the casket right in the home. Five-year-old boy that had died, been there, I don't know if it was a day or two. He went to the funeral and just such compassion moved on him. He asked everybody to leave the room. He picked this kid up, stuck him against the wall and just commanded death to go on him to come back to life. And it did. The boy was raised from the dead. And, but listen to this statement. 
He said, when he took the child out of the casket, he had no doubts what the outcome was going to be. Somebody else that got healed and couldn't stop testifying, they came back. Hey, do you have any tracks on healing? He said, yeah, I got a couple of good tracks right here. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's a lot of tracks on healing and what God can do. Somebody said, well, what version of the Bible should I read? I, and he said, well, some read, you know, in the Greek, some read in the Hebrew. I read in the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Spirit's my teacher. That's the kind of guy he was. I'm saying all that to say faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Speak this Word out loud. Speak it. Let it build up your faith. And what can produce great faith? Great fights. Through great testimonies, they come out of great tests. Great triumphs come out of great trials. Adversity is the breeding ground for miracles. It can reveal the depth of relationships. Now, whether you're married... You know, a day, a week, 30 years like I am, and maybe the honeymoon's over. It's adversity that's going to determine what kind of relationship that was. I mean, adversity, when it comes, that's going to tell you whether it was lust or you just like me or if it's really love. Love that love, like a husband that'll love his wife like Christ loved the church and gave his life. I mean, in relationships, in, in business, in ministry, that'll show uh, a lot when there's a little adversity. So are you fit for the kingdom? So the letter F stood for what? Faith. The I stands for integrity. Say integrity. We're talking about character. Who do people say you are? Now, we, we all have things we say about other people like, oh, that's so-and-so. He's the one you can never believe a word he says. <laughs> or or uh, that's what's her name. Uh, she always talks about other people behind your back. I mean, she'll, to your face, yeah, but then when you leave, she'll be talking about you. Or is it, oh, that's that woman of faith. She just got this glow, this fire night. I'm telling you, you want her to pray for you because she'll pray. And when she prays, think, I mean, what do they say about you? If you squeeze a lemon, what comes out? Lemon juice. When you get squeezed, what comes out? Anger? You know, with me, I th- one of my things that I always got to work on, impatience. And it usually shows up when we're going on a trip. Like, and uh, maybe Jenny can testify. If we're going to do a youth trip, and we're talking, it could be 80, 100 kids, I'm probably going to be driving the bus for 10 hours or more. We've got to get waivers in, money in, maybe not a lot of sleep, getting ready for it. And then I know how, and I know that I learned this way. Once we took a trip to Dallas, it took seven hours to get to Dallas. I mean, if you stop for every little thing and every little problem. And so a lot of times these trips, I get a little tense before and it's kind of, you know, I could get a little impatience and that comes out. But what happens when you squeeze, when you get squeezed a little bit? Are you a person or your word? To me, that is one of the most foundational things we need to be as Christians. A person of our word. And we're always tempted to just, just twist it a little bit. To just kind of a little white lie. A little whatever it is. Okay, the armor of God. Right? I recommend you put it on every day. Read the scripture. Recognize you have it on. And what holds all the armor together or keeps things? The belt of what? Belt of truth. That means when you lie, your belt falls off, your pants fall down. They fall down, fall down to the ground. And you're exposed. I believe a lie gives access to the enemy. Okay, would you steal a penny? A lady challenged this with me early in my Christian walk, and it's always stuck with me. Well, it's just a penny, or it's just a little white. I mean, it's either you're a liar, or you're telling the truth. You're either a thief, or you're not. Just some thoughts there. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What about your time? I mean, when you say some, 
somebody you're going to do something, you tell yourself or God or somebody else, do you procrastinate? I mean, we all do. But here's some reasons. Either you're lazy, you're uh, overwhelmed or afraid. With me, I mean, there's all those things come into play, but especially overwhelmed. Sometimes there's just so much going on. Oh, man, I don't know how I could get... You find yourself sitting there just overwhelmed and you're just kind of paralyzed. And you're just sitting there not getting anything done because you're so overwhelmed. And then you begin to listen to the Holy Spirit. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. I just put up some posters, put up some to-do lists. For me, it's something I can see. I can mark off whatever it is. The Holy Spirit will help you do that. Amen? But our actions must match our beliefs. Are you fit for the kingdom? Okay, the T is tenacity. We'll go real fast. See, you got to say tenacity. That means don't give up. The devil wants to push you off your God-given rights. He's given you some promises and he wants to take them out of your hands. He wants to take your faith. And you got to hold on and not be moved, okay? Do not quit. Perseverance is a habit, so is quitting. And some of you were taught how to quit from your parents. Whether it could have been a divorce, things get tough, quit. And so some of you, it could, it could be like it wants to be part of your DNA. But when you are born again, you get a new DNA. And it's the blood of Jesus. And you can break through that stuff. It can, it can pull on you, but you can break through that stuff. Because there's no losers in the Christian faith. There's only quitters. And most people will give up right before their miracle. You've heard me say this before. It's the 212 principle. At 211 degrees, we're talking about water is just hot. But one more degree... It turns into, it actually changes molecular composition. It's steam and it can power a locomotive down a train track. I mean, things can change right that. It's usually darkest right before the dawn. So never, never, never give up. You don't know when your miracle's coming. Hebrews 10, God said he's not pleased when people draw back, when they put their hand to the plow and look back or give up. And we can do all things. Am I correct? Did we not sing about it the first song? We need to have the theology like the Hispanic comedian george lopez we're not mexicans we're mexicans we got any i can do it out there amen it ought to be no matter how hot it gets we're not going to surrender to the heat you know i don't want to be I'd, I'd rather die a conqueror than be taken prisoner that means if i have a situation in my life to where, I mean, the doctor's reports are saying this, whatever's saying that, but the Word of God says this, I mean, I'm going to go, and I'm going to go, and I'm, I'd rather, I don't want to be a, a prisoner to fear, doubt, and unbelief. I mean, I want to take this, if I have to, to my grave. And because the grave's not going to win. I might be six feet under, but I'm going to go over. I'm going to go to heaven. And so it's win-win. But don't give up. I'm telling you, and... So many times you'll be so close to your miracle. And I believe our, that's part of our church going at another level to where we really begin to see the miracles coming. There's some people desperately need a miracle in this church. Cancers and tumors and things. I speak to those cancers and tumors and I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. I say you'll not have victory over this body of Christ. In the name of Jesus. We release that answer of prayer from heaven to come in Jesus' name. And that spirit to not give up. In the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you. Lord, your word is true. It'll not come back void. It'll accomplish what you sent it to do. But these answers come, and it says in Revelation, when the tests come, to those who overcome. To those who overcome. Let's be overcomers. Let's not give up. Amen? And let's not love our lives unto death. Because we overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Loving not our lives to death. I'll close with this story. Does anybody remember what happened April 20th, 1999? 
What state? Colorado. We were kind of refreshed because of what happened in the theater. Columbine, Littleton, Colorado. Cassie Burnell, one of the many victims, when asked by one of the gunmen if she believed in God, Cassie replied in a voice strong enough to be heard by her classmates who were cowering under the tables and desks, Yes, I believe in Jesus. The gunman raised his weapon, shot the 17-year-old Cassie to death. She had been a Christian for only two years. In her death, Cassie has become both a symbol and a prophet. Her martyrdom uh, seemingly foretold in a poem she wrote the last Sunday service she went to. She wrote this poem. It should be up on the screen. Now I have given up on everything else. I have found it to be the only way to really know Christ and to experience the mighty power that brought him back to life again and to find out what it means to suffer and to die with him. So whatever it takes... I will be the one who lives in the fresh newness of life of those who are alive from the dead. Powerful. There's power in this word. I dare you to use it. Man, begin to speak it out loud. Speak it over your situation. Hold on to it. Don't let the devil pry it out of your hand. And in the worst of situations, Ezekiel 37, there was dry bones. We're not talking just dead people. We're talking dead people, not even with... Skin, and we're talking about bones that had no moisture life left in them. Totally hopeless. And he began to prophesy to those bones. to come. There was a rattling. And I'm telling you, I don't care where you're at. Prophesy that word. Speak that word. And listen to this last statement. You need to speak life over situations where the enemy's coming in and trying to bring death to a relationship. Finance. Speak life. Because if you change the way you talk, you'll change the way you believe. You change the way you believe, you'll change the way you act. You change the way you act, you will change your destiny. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we want to bless you today. Thank you for your presence and your anointing and faith, Lord, has just been... It's here because you're here and your word's here. And Lord, there's believers here. And we're joining our faith. And we pray answered prayer will come. Lord, there's people right now. I declare there's an open heaven. Just begin to talk to God. Tell Him what you need. Just begin to pull that stuff out of heaven. Something to hold on to, a word, whatever it is. Lord, if there's somebody here that doesn't know you, that this is kind of new to them, whether it's church or they don't know about a relationship, all they know is about religion. Lord, you'll come and save them because your word says if they'll confess with their mouth, they can be saved. That simple. If somebody doesn't have the power of God to be a witness, Lord, that baptism of the Holy Spirit, that, that power, that, that presence that, that just we get immersed in, Lord, let them ask you for it because they can get it from you. Okay, everybody look at me real quick. Went just a hair longer than I wanted to with my little uh, side notes there. But anyhow... Most important question. If you died today, would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? I wasn't asked that question until I was 30 years old. I'd been in church, had some head knowledge, and never come to my heart. And they drew a, this person drew a circle on their chest. And he said, I call that a God hole. You can try putting whatever you want in there and never satisfy you. You know, money, booze, sports, women, no, nothing will satisfy. The only thing that satisfies you is a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. A personal relationship that you can only have by inviting Him into your life. God's not going to force this on you. I don't want to force anything on you, but I want to give you an opportunity right now. If you've gotten off track with God, and right now you're realizing, man, I, I'm not following Christ. I've gotten off track or you've never asked Him into your life, or you've never confessed Him publicly. You've never really done this publicly to where you've really just made a statement of your faith. So I'm just going to ask all over this room, if you raise your hand, what you're doing is you're asking Christ to come into your life to get back on track, and I'm just going to say a prayer with you right where you're at to agree with you. Raise your hand right now. Everybody looking around. Anybody else? 
want to get back on track. Anybody else? See your hand in your hand. God bless you. See your hand. See your hand back there. Anybody else? See your hand in your hand. Anybody else? See your hand over there. I'm telling you. You put your hands down. Unless somebody didn't raise your hand, you want to do it right now and get back on track with God. Somebody they hadn't yet. We'll just give you one more opportunity. See your hand. Amen. That was worth the wait. See your hand. Amen. God's doing something right now. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to do what the Bible says. You can have this relationship. We're going to confess with our mouth. So just repeat this prayer after me. Everybody in this room, say, Lord Jesus, I thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I invite you. I give you permission to come into my life. Change me from the inside out. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. The kind of person I really want to be. I'm going to need your power. So fill me with your spirit. Help me to follow you. Never let me be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Give me a hand clap. Amen. We're going to have an altar team come up real quick. I'm going to dismiss you. But I want to do one more thing. Don't always do this all the time. But on the count of three, I'm going to ask everyone that raised your hand, thought about raising your hand, I want you to stand up and walk toward that cross. Don't deny him now. Man, we're in a church service. I mean, if you raise your hand in a minute, they're going all right. Just start walking. Head to the cross. Pastor Joe's going to meet you there. Head to the cross. Thank you, Jesus. We bless you, Lord. Some of you are, are just reaffirming and getting back on track. Some of you, this is brand new. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you. Proud of you. Proud of you, man. Thank you, Jesus. And we're going to need some workers. So that's, we're going to have an altar call. Thank you, Jesus. We bless you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just focus over here on what the Lord's doing. We bless you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Hey, everybody standing over here. They got some information they're going to give you. And make sure you get that. We'll have some altar team come around you. But just remember this. Some of you are getting back on track. Some of you, this is about a relationship. Okay, God wants to walk and talk with you. He is for you, not against you. And we got some things to help you, but get in your Bible, start talking to Him in prayer. If, if, if you don't have a church, we welcome you to come here. But allow God just to finish doing what He's doing. We're going to sing through one time. The altars are open for if you need prayer for healing, if you need anything from God, just come stand at the altar and talk to God, and we'll have some altar team come back to you. But let's sing one through one time. And if you just have to go be dismissed, we just dismiss you in Jesus' name. Let's sing, though. We're going to turn down the lights and just remain here a little bit. I need Christian just to be around them. I want one-on-one over there with somebody. If you have a relationship, you can go pray with them.